Chapter Eleven of the Death of Society: A Novel of Tomorrow, by Romer Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Eleven. Ingman was talkative at supper, which was fortunate, because none of the others had anything to say to one another. He began to talk directly he sat down and addressed himself entirely to Smith. Well, well, he said, young man. I have had a good day's work today. Even at my age, when an old man you would think was past his ups and downs, I have my good days and my bad. Every year, work such as I do becomes more interesting. The day, no doubt, is not far away when I shall no longer wish to write, or I shall become, as they say, garrulous on paper, and have too much to say about everything, as old men often have. Then, Rosa, he turned to her, what will you do when nothing can make me better or any worse and he repeated his question in norwegian because he went on to smith if an old man has not made his peace with fate at threescore years he will never make it god help him smith laughed that gives me thirty years to make mine it can be made said old ingman in a million years or a day in one second or not at all or in all the years that lie between stupidity and circumstance are the worst enemies of peace a clear head and circumstance its best friends this salt fish is excellent as you see my supper almost entirely consists of it it suits me it does not suit us all thus i have made peace with my digestion and a peaceful stomach makes a peaceful heart a useful fallacy said the old man smacking his stomach salvation lies in the liver what have you said to my wife to-day smith looked at the old man critically to see in what sense he asked this question but as he saw neither suspicion nor real interest in his face he replied little enough which was true i think she must be very tolerant to be as kind to me as she is you no doubt went to wolfzater it is her own her own bought with her father's money and she is very proud of it mighty proud of thy wolfzater art thou not rosa christensen she pointed it out to me from tageso we did not go there a pleasure to come said the old man for she will not let you leave us until you have seen it leave thought smith will it be my fate to go away yes i suppose so in a day or two death comes to everybody but the idea seemed incredible and impossible i hope very much however that she will take me there to-day or to-morrow he replied because whether i make my peace with fate or not i must make it with sven sigerson and be back in england next wednesday yes life has its claims said old ingman until you are my age now i make my claims upon life that is a compensation for lost years this evening after supper i shall claim your society in my library where you shall drink real schnapps as you only can now in a private house and i shall show you a little of my work smith was dismayed he should miss a whole evening of the presence of rosa ingman of which he felt he had deprived himself in a reckless manner all afternoon it is very kind of you he answered nevertheless i own sir i have read nothing of your work and even at sven sigerson's never drank schnapps he was too interested in cocktails for which he had smuggled the ingredients out of england to offer me anything else i might be an excise officer and convict him then on your evidence laughed the old man you might replied smith but i should doubt if he had not drunk the evidence entirely by now 
supper was hardly ended before old ingman rose and saying now i will show you my library led smith through a door at right angles to that of the family room the library like the sitting-room was long and well lighted down one side and in it also was a large high stove exactly similar to that in the other apartment in the window stood an immense office desk on which stood several neat piles of papers a bell and a barograph and not only were the walls lined from floor to ceiling with books but the room was partitioned off with low barricades of bookcases into three parts a pleasant musty smell of leather aromatic pine wood and a slight odour of paraffin lamps mingled in the warm atmosphere and smith was almost content to forget women and to be satisfied with a world of books and old man's talk ingman led him past the partition up to the stove near which was set a low table with red wine schnapps and cigars upon it a few mandarin oranges and some wafers sit down sit down said the old man and let us drink to the fair settlement of our debts with fate he poured out two glasses of the much praised spirits dipped a wafer in his own and clinked glasses in the old manner as if he were appeasing the gods and then drank well well continued ingman when he had lit a cigar you can find out everything i have thought worthy of preservation about myself in my own books which are the yes and no the critic of ibsen the critic of nietzsche the critic of criticism the critic of myself the critic of democratic moral principles and my yet unfinished and last work recriticism of criticism i propose to say little or nothing about them my chief interest for you is my life which i will tell you now i only tell you my life for a singular reason my fancy has run away with me i have a fancy to do so smith pretended to be extremely interested his heart was not in his eyes the old man sat down and rubbed his knees and smith thought poor old man he is old i will drink his schnapps and be interested in his life to please him so he leaned forward and said i wish sir beside your life you would give me some insight into your work old ingman continued to rub his knees slowly and then said well in spite of what i have said i will since you ask it give you an impression of my ideas first and this is not easy because in my books through which my ideas have been developed up to their present point each sentence has a value which must be lost in conversation now my methods of criticism have been two my first method face value i disposed of in the yes and no my second constructive analysis has given me greater insight into the workings and psychological mechanism of the human creation than you might have thought possible from the mere dissection of philosophical literature and artistic literature we will dispose of face value as i disposed of it in the yes and no i take the example of a book i can as readily take an action a code of laws in the case of a book give me any book and i will read it forgetting to the best of my ability that it was not composed by the printer's machine if anything remains i deliver myself of the impression it has made upon me if nothing remains i throw it into the dustbin it is below the reach of criticism my standard is the standard of my attention take my criticism of nietzsche and out of it select my chapter in which is included the superman or as we say also sprach zarathustra i say concerning it i have read zarathustra from beginning to end i am raised very high by it but i do not understand any more than the first few pages 
i gave this dictum in a review it was accepted i sent this announcement to a paper only lately after his death they said this man does not know his nietzsche i replied from one point of view i do not what i say is reasonable the work excites me but it is nonsense to me i do not understand it and the world agrees with me as you will find out if you ask the opinion of a reasonable mass of people that is the face value of also sprach zarathustra i was able of course to conjecture what was meant but should i be right no in all probability i should be wrong my imagination would not be the same as nietzsche's my thoughts at best the great-granddaughters of nietzsche's thoughts let us now take ibsen a man asks me what does the doll's house mean i say have you seen the play he says yes i answer what did you think of it he replies a girl ran away from her husband it was rather exaggerated i thought she did not wish to obey him well i reply that is what the doll's house means it may mean something different to me it may convey itself to me as a family crisis that makes a dull play but its outward or face value its dullness as a family drama i have taken as the basis of my first and inferior method of criticism now this is very useful and i ultimately call it reading not criticism what further do i do what next the old man sat up on the edge of his chair absorbed in his thoughts which covered so vast a range tense with a difficulty to reduce that range sufficiently for the young man's ears what do i do next he repeated i criticize my zarathustra or what you will in a new method i learn all i can about my author i see his death mask read his letters if he is dead if he is alive i call upon him i talk to his friends i learn what his habits are how he passes his life where he prefers to live then i pull the book i hold in my hand to pieces i spread it over the long period during which it was written i am determined if possible to become nietzsche i accomplish this as nearly as possible with the help of certain hypotheses i have the great knowledge that all men are alike what do i see i see that most commentaries upon zarathustra are idle speculations and many conjectures false equivalent in idleness with the philosophy of Sprach zarathustra which is only an elaboration of your youthful dream about the world which you find utter rubbish when you become twenty-one well now i have said that nietzsche's work is only the expression of an idea about the universe i add that it is elliptical who can supply the thoughts in between nobody i have suggested that the whole thing is a fallacy as every philosophical speculation is a fallacy and the nietzschean fallacy is the illusion of a visionary mind also sprach zarathustra is therefore rubbish why then do we read it how can i tell that is a personal affair for my part i read it because it is elliptical and i am able to enjoy the visionary sights which the words suggest to my mind i will not pretend to tell you what zarathustra means word by word i have learned the conception from a study of nietzsche's life his real life not his appreciation or reading library life i know the conception is as false as any other which carries away the conceiver or i may say as true but the book is a great book why i say because it is an expression of one man's vision which is rare because its ellipses inspire me to visions of my own which are superior to many that possess me if you wish to have refuted the thousand arguments which may spring to your mind i refer you to my seven books 
now i will tell you the history of my life which is more interesting he filled smith's glass and his own again and at once continued you see i do not allow you to discuss any points which i have raised i domineer over you in my own library that is the action of an old man he filled his glass and drank again when he had finished it and eaten another wafer which he said he could recommend for the digestion as they came from the incomparable firm of liedermann he cried well young man you will say your life your life and at once he began it though my parents were both norwegian i was born in stuttgart sixty-four or more years ago i was educated at weimar during my life carlyle nietzsche wagner ibsen wilde victor hugo tolstoy the nuncio have all produced work together with grieg byron browning rodin verlaine and numberless other people when i went away from weimar i was made a clerk in the office of the daily news at stuttgart but soon became general critic i indulged in the usual frivolities of youth which you are old enough and not too old to picture accurately gradually i became known as a clever young review writer i was attached to a berlin paper and began to make myself agreeable in literary society at thirty i became a freelance and wrote generally sometimes even for the foreign news and travelled considerably at thirty-three i began to devote myself to ibsen who you will hardly be able to credit it was startling europe with new ideas ideas which you may say have long become old-fashioned i followed him wherever he went and my name was made because i had the boldness to seize ibsen himself and often sat in his house he told me many amazing things about his life and i realized what an extremely long time he existed before he came to be what he was then how inferior a writer he was until past the time when most men lay aside their unrealized aspirations when i was thirty-seven i went to christiania and lived among the peculiar people there for a year my mind was all the time disorderly and fermented i thought i had a philosophy i had none i thought i had a principle of criticism i had not i was homeless wifeless without ideals if anything i was revolutionary in appearance imagine me dark wild and hairy i have been said to be repulsive no matter i lived at christiania in a house outside the town belonging to a nils christensen whose family were very kind to me and whose children were at that date violent partisans for and against ibsen the eldest son would not speak to me and behaved in the fanatical manner of a young conservative who upholds rationality the father however was a broad-minded sane man for whom i had great friendship and respect the others either secretly hated me or confided their sympathy to me in private the youngest child however was so strongly impressed by ibsen that she often declared openly i love mr hendrick ibsen i am his secret wife she was barely sixteen years of age the family used to laugh and say simple rosa one day i was seated in the garden smoking and looking over the sea when i perceived rosa coming from the bottom of the garden toward me she came up to me and seated herself on my knee for there was nowhere else for her to sit and said you believe don't you i am married to mr ibsen i said pretending to be serious i hardly know i will tell you she replied it is a story we went to church in my head and we came out married after that i know what he does every day of his life 
I am not married as people say, but if I imagine I am married, I can imagine the rest better. I have nobody to live with. She put her arm round my neck and told me she thought I was her brother, that none of the rest were. I felt moved. She began to interest me. I asked her to talk to me, but she replied, Talk to me, please. I did not know what to say. However, I said this. Does anybody here love you? No, she said. Nobody does except my father. She did not seem sad. Do you want anybody to love you, I said, and began to feel embarrassed for fear that anybody should see her sitting on my knee. Well, she said, I do not know. I wish you would tell me everything you know. Then I began to smile. I said, it is not very interesting. It would take a very long time to tell. How long? Oh, I said, if I had spare time enough, I might tell you in forty years, during the evening. Begin then. I wanted to throw her off my knee and run away, but my egotism said, now you can educate this child while you are here and experiment. Perhaps you can cure her and make her a little more reasonable. I put my arms around her and sat her upon my knee like a baby and said, shall I tell you some history? I prefer not, she said. Then I suggested the various branches of learning. To every one, she answered, I prefer not. I laughed and asked her what she did prefer and thought what a tiresome child she was. She replied, what did you think about when you were a child? I answered at random, soldiers, hoops and tops. No, she interrupted, you think you thought about those things because men always say soldiers, hoops and tops about children. I have asked a great many men. They always say soldiers, hoops and tops. Were they so different from us when we were children? I thought I had the young Judith, judge of Israel, upon my knee. I became serious. I said, you are right. Those are circumstances, not thoughts. She turned to me and again put her arms round my neck and said, I hope I shall marry, as people marry, a man like you. I want to marry somebody who will tell me the truth and say like you said just now, you are right, instead of simple Rosa. I was young in those days. I said, I am a wicked man. Oh, she cried, tell me. I felt now that I could not take my foot out of the bog I had stepped into. I must, having told her that I was wicked, explain the most minute circumstances of my wickedness. I had no right to do it. My plan of education would become one of degradation. I could not tell my host's daughters the crimes I had committed. I began to talk to her, however, and I continued until the sun set. The next evening she drew me apart from the others, and I talked again. The evening after that it was the same. On the fourth day Nils Christensen came to me, and I discovered that she had joyfully told him all that I had said. He threw me out of the house. Rosa was his favorite child. I was a vile blaggard. With my life confession half made, I became subject to a fit of madness. I went about Christiania like a tiger whose meat is caged away. What was Rosa doing? Was she deciding between us? That was my first declaration to myself that I expected to marry Rosa. I stayed in Christiania a month, spending most of my time as if I was twenty-one in a large bush of yew that stood at the bottom of Nils Christensen's garden. One day when I saw her sitting with her father, as she had sat with me, I came out of the bush. I went to Rosa. I said, Will you be my wife? Her father sprang up with her in his arms. He was as frightened of me as if I had been an apparition. Rosa said, Father, I will marry Mr. Ingman. 
her father let her fall on the grass and said marry him then but do not enter my house again i was forced to pick her up and take her away with me she cried a very great deal not because her father had cast her off but because he had not done what she considered right we were then married at church with as great ceremony as possible at which her youngest brother officiated as her relation and immediately afterwards i took her away for a long time to various beautiful places i finished the story of my life to her and then she began to disclose herself to me i forgot that i was her senior by more than twenty years i listened to her with amazement as she displayed to me her rich and extraordinary personality i have made many mistakes during our life together i have been brutal ungenerous and ununderstanding i do not yet wholly understand her but i have come to that state when i acknowledge that i am her inferior in every way that she can do no wrong that i must impose no laws or authority upon her i was angry and disgusted when i first found that she could not keep the kitchen accounts i hurled reproaches at her because she refused to read i read to her that she did not mind because she was able to abstract herself if she chose from what i read i was tormented because she refused to learn german she said all languages meant the same why should she learn two and no amount of logic would convince her that she would be a finer woman with two tongues my life has not been in one sense happy with her i have had to suffer a thousand terrors from her simplicity and singleness of heart when i had been kind though we used to lie in silence night after night sometimes she would talk to me i began after seven years to perceive what she was my eyes fell open i changed everything instead of wild i became calm and wrote the yes and no she made me read it to her and in doing so i first knew not only inexpressible joy but modesty which was a stranger to me she rewarded me by telling me one of her innumerable stories in which she used for the first time the notion of the death of society occasionally she refers in stories to that singular idea of which i have only partly comprehended her meaning there is my life smith did not break the silence in which they sat he remained drinking and smoking for some time then he said that idea the death of society came to me this morning when we were out together i wish sir you would tell me the norwegian phrase some fundets tot asked old ingman and smith repeated it a dozen times aloud the old man smiled in an amused fashion and said i believe that is more impressive than all my conversation smith laughed he had nothing whatever to remark sometimes continued old ingman standing up on such an occasion as this for instance we and i speak for my fellow-creatures have a sensation of weakness and doubt we think what are we let us toss everything into the sea and put an end to our foolish aspirations a peculiar sensation attacks the stomach we become children who having built castles knock them down we ask ourselves can we have any verification of our dreams our philosophical castles in the air are they not the mere fantasies of an overwrought reason our sole resource is to seek the normal but where shall we find it for my part i have found the normal alone in art and in unequivocal physical and moral joy when i am in a happy physical state or my mind is charmed with some right action it has performed what assurance does a normal hold for me none what then is its value this that before it certain of my philosophies fade certain others are intensified 
with this knowledge i have attempted a seventh book in which as far as i am able in the midst of the errors in which i find myself bound to exist through limitation of my perceptions i put my life to the test i agree with you cried smith men must inevitably return to the body to verify their thoughts ingman got up and approaching him shook his hand in the young man's face in spite of it however he cried i enjoy an arrogant assurance i have done something worth doing and that is the end of it brandes is my inferior you have nobody at cambridge as cosmopolitan as i am he chuckled my wife is only a woman his famous schnapps was beginning to have an effect upon him smith who felt also a little enthusiastic replied rosa ingman i should not like you to say anything against her my god i shall think in spite of twenty-five years of marriage you don't realize what she is like i knew her directly directly i came into the room ah ah cried old ingman do not be misled young man rosa is the kind of being who belongs to fairy tales rosa is not real we must limit the influence of rosa there is nobody like her she is incomparable said smith laughing and being a little freed by the spirits was glad to be able to declare himself to a man of experience even if that man were her husband she is incomparable he repeated i wish i were in your place his remark was not altogether ingenuous his mind had in a sense been cleared by the spirits he thought i shall gauge this old man's attitude toward her by rousing him as much as i dare old ingman's eyes became bright and sparkling he replied wish you were me do you now do you certainly said smith and i am a young man whose wishes are his only laws that is brave cried ingman but i hear the nightingale in your voice and he took he assured himself only one more glass of madeira to help the spirits through the night i hear the nightingale smith got up and began to walk about she sings louder to me than to you at all events he answered and laughed gaily he stood still put his hands in his pockets and rocked audaciously upon his toes the old man remained by the stove his eyes were bright and beady his large mouth grinning his hair more on end than usual his mind seemed to be issuing from his head and to fill the room with smoke it was the smoke of a long life of many experiences and many thoughts when will the old creature stop exuding himself thought smith who continued to stare at him very hard from the middle of the room the professor stared back and remarked the good god we realize the difference between our youth and age smith laughed again yes he replied in this room we too make a complete example of the mature man i and you said the old man as if he feared some slight was being offered to his dignity yes you and i repeated smith and you suggest that that is rosa's view of the situation cried ingman still fixed immovably by the stove i do replied smith he had simply spoken at random but he let the occasion serve old ingman's eyes blazed up he clenched his hands and made a step forward your audacity he cried is tremendous it is smith answered the old man stared fiercely at him for two minutes contracted his brows then let his hands fall to his sides well well he murmured i saw how it was i saw i said to myself i am old fate must take her course if fate cuckolds me it must be so rosa ingman has taught me this that the heart and the hand are inseparable as well be cheated by one as the other young man you are free if i were your age i should immediately kill you 
but time has made me the worser man. Smith's generous nature rose to the top in him. He had an impulse to swear that Ingman had nothing to fear from himself, that his interest in Rosa Ingman was purely intellectual. He resisted it. He knew that he ought not to promise away his tomorrows, either to man or woman, that promised tomorrows are debts which are rarely to be paid. Bah! cried old Ingman. You are silent. I know it. You are too wise about life. And he drank another glass. Smith walked back to the wine-table and also poured himself out a glass, which he swallowed. Then, leaning against the stove, he slowly peeled and ate a mandarin. I have fought in a war, he said. I can see that, cried Ingman. Sven Sigerson did not quarrel with you for nothing. We, oui, you young men, you women, I prefer the old sort. Damn you! I must get myself a cheery girl like the great King David. I am in a world I don't understand. I am right. Old folks should go to the doctor at sixty. But still, he cried maliciously, though I may be but a janitor in your eyes, it is I who retire to the conjugal chamber, from which death alone shall oust me. Good night. And he went out of the room. Smith threw himself down on his chair as if he had been hit in the stomach and gave himself over to groaning aloud. I am drunk, he said to himself, but nevertheless he complained in agony at the wickedness of old men and fate and the universe, until the image of Rosa Ingman crept softly into the room and sat itself upon the table calmly before him. He looked up. She was not there. He hid his face in his hands and closed his eyes. She reappeared. He spoke. Rosa Christensen, he said quietly, I am afraid. I am mortally frightened. He waited for her reply, but none came. Instead, through the darkness which he had given himself, calm and peace began gradually to come over his soul, and he thought presently, fear. Why, what have I to fear? I am neither away from her, nor have I incurred her displeasure. Whether she loves me, I neither know nor do not know. There is no fear in ignorance, only in certainty and when certainty comes, whatever it may be, I hope I may bear myself as a brave man. After some long time dwelling upon the beauty and the grace of Rosa Ingman, he fell asleep where he was, in the chair, until the stove went out and he awoke cold and stiff. He went to the window, but it was still full night, and the old method of ascertaining the hour by the stars being no art of his, he looked at his watch by the light of a low-burning lamp. It was half-past two o'clock. He yawned. In spite of love and old men, he was sleepy. So turning out the guttering lamps, he left the room and went upstairs to bed, where he fell asleep again immediately. End of chapter 11 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine